Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if not obvious. Um, thank you. Now I'll remember what I said. <laughs> so thanks for joining us. Uh, we're going to walk through and highlight what was behind the report, a little report, and then let you have at it since you had a chance uh, to look at it. So just so you know, logistically, uh, we completed this report. These things were literally printed over the weekend. Yesterday, we met with Drs. Babineau, Finale, and President Paxson to go through this. We then met with the Attorney General to go through this. And we then met with Dr. Alexander Scott and Department of Health. So those are the key parties, the principles of this transaction, and then the two regulatory bodies, not counting the feds. Um, later today, we are briefing reps from the House and the Senate, uh, Senator Whitehouse, and the governor. And there may be others added. Senator Reed wanted to get a briefing at some point. So and that's members of the General Assembly? Well, what we're doing is the Speaker's office and the Senate President's okay. office. So possibly the policy folks there. Well, okay, so maybe not the Speaker? Uh, yeah, depending on their okay. schedule. But we're on the calendar. It may be that and then they'll briefing. Um, and then, as you know, it's embargoed to 12 midnight, I guess, and then it goes public tomorrow. So it's a select group that has seen this. So let me give you a little background. I think a lot of this that you, you know, about five months ago, uh, we formed a group. It's listed in here, community group. Um, the first and foremost thing about that that was a priority was independence. So when you look at that list, it was put together to get people who were not affiliated with Brown, not affiliated with Lifespan, and not affiliated with, it's on the inside cover, and not affiliated with um, uh, Care New England. So that was the given. The other thing is that the hospitals asked us to do this. So we offered to do, you know, this is an outgrowth of the long-term health planning that we've been doing So over the last couple of years. So they knew that um, we were pushing in that group that you need community input uh, as this transaction is being put together. And they said, would you do this leveraging that long-term health plan uh, convening ability that we had uh, to do this? So um, uh, that was the beginning of it. It was a very rigorous process over five months, uh, regular meetings with this group. And this group had knowledgeable healthcare people. It had community people. Uh, we led the, co-led the group. We got community input, similar to what we did with the ARPA uh, plan that you heard about, uh, I don't know, a week or two ago now. We had focus groups that were convened in the community, and they're detailed in here, and we had community uh, conversations on this, <clears throat> all of which are detailed in the appendix. So this is 100% transparent. There's nothing we did that is not in this document. Um, and then we set about uh, uh, putting this together, and I'll go through how we prioritize things. But I just want to really, really make clear what this is. So we are not a regulatory body, to state the obvious. We are not in the approval chain. Uh, this was done to inform the regulatory process. So I'm going to just reiterate the statement that was in the press release, was that our goal was to gather feedback and ideas from Rhode Islanders including those who may not otherwise have a voice in the process, very important, 
And while the foundation has been supportive of the idea of a locally controlled integrated academic health system for many years, this process was focused on not whether the merger should move forward, but identifying the key priorities, investments, and policies that would ensure broader community benefit if the merger is to happen. Ultimately, the measure of success for the integrated academic health system must be if it helps catalyze change that sets the stage on a trajectory towards creating a healthier Rhode Island for all residents. That's what this is. You'll read in here um, statements like, we believe that Rhode Island can and must chart a different path, so the merge system, if approved, and the broader integrated academic health system is the cornerstone of the healthcare system. The other clarification, we go back and forth talking about a merger, which is the technical merger that uh, is, is up for approval between Care New England and Lifespan. We then also talk about the integrated academic health system, which is the proposed merged entity plus the affiliation with Brown. They are not 100% the same, but in the spirit of this, that's what's being put forward. So you'll see in here, we have some recommendations that are a little more uh, geared for a merged entity technical approval and some that include the integrated academic health system uh, meaning around. So, so that's the backdrop of this, um, is to say if this is going to go through, if it gets approved, we want to make sure there was community input. We want to make sure that, that the priorities and the voices of the community were heard. And that's what this is. So the first thing we did was guiding principles. It seems to be a way of doing these things that works when we convene people from the community. The first guiding principle, not surprisingly, but with great vigor, is equity. So the committee's recommendations take into account the need to address root causes of systemic inequalities. So your health system is for everybody, and it has not always been equitable, as many things in our uh, life and our institutions have not been equitable. So we really want to address that. The other was the independence I talked about that this was not done under the umbrella of these entities, it was done independently. We want to look at short and long-term impacts, and then the fourth one, sustainability. Not recommend things that, that get done in the short term, uh, something gets approved, and then that they go away. Um, we then met with the committee, and we set about priorities and recommendations. So we established eight priorities to get information on, to get data on, to get public opinion on, and to do the work on. First one was equity, is equity, then oversight, then access, then cost, quality, workforce, community responsibility, and governance. We did not, we're not lawyers and we're not regulators, so we did not look at legal requirements and regulatory requirements. This is the healthcare system in, in the community and addressing each one of those. So what we did over our meetings with focus groups, community conversations, and the committee is we just went down the line and addressed each one of those and that's the way the report is lined up. So Jane's gonna quickly go through the first four, I'll go through the second four, and then we will open it up. Yeah, happy to do that. So the first, um, priority area is equity. And we pulled it out as a separate priority. I think what you will see overall is that it's foundational to everything else. Um, and you will see that the recommendations in almost all of the other areas 
have some piece of equity involved in them. Remember that it's our belief that if this should be approved, this really is the potential to be transformational in terms of the health system here in Rhode Island. And as part of that transformation, we don't want this to simply be the baseline of what we currently have. We want this to be better. And so we want it to be better for the people who have not been served as well by the health system. Um, and certainly we want to make Rhode Island is healthier as a whole, and the state healthier as a whole, but certainly we are also focusing on those people who have not had the same opportunity and advantage um, as others have had to access the health system. Um, you will see in here that the um, merge system really needs to expand access to communities of color. Um, they need to make commitments around workforce, and the workforce um, issues are not just community entrance level jobs into these systems, there really needs to be a look at executive level um, and who is in the executive level and do those people reflect um, the community. We also know that the um, community has issues of trust around both brown and large healthcare um, institutions. There are lots of reasons for that, but teaching hospitals are not necessarily viewed positively in many minority communities. And so there will need to be some work done in order to establish that level of trust. So that's the equity issue. The, the next issue is oversight. And oversight is critical to a successful outcome. And I think that Neil would agree, and I think our committee agreed, that there currently is no one place in the state, state government, um, either in the executive branch or honestly at the AG's office either that has the breadth and depth of being able to oversee an entity this large. And so there are other examples in other states that we might look at, but there needs to be something built and it needs to be built quickly <coughs> in order to oversee an entity of this size. The examples are Maryland rate setting, um, hospital rate setting, uh, board, the um, Massachusetts Health Policy Commission. Neither of those are perfect, but they certainly give some opportunity for how this might be done. Um, as you know, and Neil is right, we're not attorneys. We really didn't look at the regulatory or statutory requirements for either the AG or the Department of Health, but there may have to be a look at all of that in order to make sure that we have adequate oversight for this. Next area is access, um, and concern was raised by the community that this system would be large, it might be difficult to navigate. Um, individuals said they were afraid that they might get lost in the shuffle. So this is, this is both a perspective of the individual trying to access clinical care. It is also, um, it's also I think, a, an opportunity for the new system to work towards a collaborative approach with providers in the community with whom they do not currently have um, established relationships. So those are community-based organizations, community health centers, uh, community mental health centers. And the other piece that was very clear is that the community identified the lack of access to behavioral health. 
in the state. And if this were to go forward, again, we don't want this to be one and one equals two. We want this to be one and one equals four or five, so that the system is that much better, and that people actually have better access to, to services and to care. Um, interest, a lot of interest in assuring that physicians and other providers are supported in this transition. Um, a lot of interest in making sure that appropriate care is available for older uh, Rhode Islanders, which I found to be interesting. That was not something that I expected to hear from the community, but that's what we heard, that there was concern about that. Um, again, the system has to build trust with the communities that have been historically marginalized, um, and that will take a significant amount of work and um, must be a priority. And then the final area that I'm going to talk about is cost. And if you read the literature around these things, um, what you read is that access decreases, cost increases, and quality decreases. And I think our position, and it may be considered naive, um, or perhaps that we're simply too optimistic, but Rhode Island has been able to do things very creatively in other in other venues, and our size allows us to do some of that. And so I think we are very optimistic that if this were to occur, we have a real chance to be able to make some of these things less of an issue um, and be able to address them more clearly. So we are um, talking about recommending to the regulators that 80% of the patient population in value-based payment models within five years of emerging. And so we're, trying, we're encouraging that the system move from fee-for-service into a value-based um, financing strategy. <coughs> the other thing that we know is that there will have to be different relationships between payers, um, the hospital systems themselves, and the state. Uh, if this is a new transformation, we're going to have to, we will have to look at things differently, and so and cost is one of those where areas where that will have to occur. Um, we also recommend that the system will have to support meaningful payment reform, and should continue to um, participate in cost containment processes, such as as you know the Rhode Island Health Care Health Care Cost Trends Project. So those things will be really <coughs> critical if this is going to go forward and be successful. So I'm gonna I'll, I'll pick up the last four. Yep. So the next one is quality. Uh, needless to say, that's a priority for many people. When you go into the hospital, when you go to see a doctor, you want high quality. Uh, we did not take it upon ourselves in this exercise to recommend all the different um, benchmarks or metrics. There's a lot of people that could work on that. But we did say is number one, that the MERS system would commit to ensuring patient experience scores in the top 10% of hospitals in New England within the first five years. So patient experience is deemed as a big indicator um, uh, of, of quality. There are others that, there's national benchmarks I know and, and others that, that they need to come back to uh, us and to the regulators and say how this is gonna be. And it needs to be transparent. Um, we really need to see how the MERS system uh, is collaborative. So it's now competitive. This needs to be collaborative. Um, the next thing is workforce. Jane touched on it. 
There's a lot of concern that in any merger, in any industry, when you combine big entities that there are job losses. It's kind of the underpinning a lot of times of mergers. Now, I won't put words in their mouth, but they will tell you, the hospitals will say they have 2,000 openings right now. Uh, however, the laid off worker from the cafeteria may not be able to get a job as a nurse where the openings are. So we want them to commit to job training, to equitable opportunities, to a more diverse workforce, for Brown to be more committed to training people that stay in the local uh, area, in different areas of the healthcare system, and um, uh, that they have a plan, and that they have a plan of how they're going to increase. And also the workforce is at all levels. So we think there should be a more diverse uh, senior level, the management level uh, cohort with this new entity. Um, but it should create jobs, it should help people with their careers, and they should commit combined, all three, to making this happen so that um, uh, there's a real partnership with people in the community to get jobs. We also said in here that they should maintain relationships with other medical schools if necessary, and in fact, maybe a higher level of collaboration with the other universities, especially Rick and URI and CCRI that are training the, uh, the nurses. Um, the, the second to last one is community responsibility. Uh, so this is a very important one. Um, we want them, we being the community, to directly support the community. When they proposed this, um, uh, to start this process going again, uh, you may recall that they uh, made a proposal to invest $10 million over three years directly in the community, presumably to support the social determinants of health, housing, food insecurity, and everything. Um, we did not view that as significant enough given the size, nearly $4 billion probably combined of the entity. So you'll see what we recommended was a commitment of $50 million over five years, the combined entity, the merged entity, committing $5 million a year for five years, and Brown committing $5 million a year for five years. Brown had previously indicated they would put up 120, invest $125 million. Not sure on the details on that, but this is not in kind. This is direct going to agencies, going to organizations in the community. We're proposing that it be uh, in a fund that makes grants. Yes, we have said the Rhode Island Foundation could, we did not say should, could manage a fund like that. Um, I'm going to talk about a community advisory board that would have input. But what it would be is them making a direct contribution in the, in the community. Um, I know I have seen illustrations of Partners Health in Boston investing in housing uh, near their hospitals up, up there. So this is direct investment there. Uh, it includes Brown working more, uh, again, directly. This is not additional buildings that will then be part of the healthcare system. This is direct investment. We also think there's opportunities to work more closely with the health equity zones through the Department of Health um, that can be done. And then the last area was governance. You know, no surprise here. It's going to be a very big organization. We believe that it needs a reconstituted board. Um, uh, we believe that there, and we stated, that there would be a national search as soon as possible to hire a new CEO for the merge system. Just uh, to pick Tim and Jimmy? Hmm? Just to pick Tim or Jimmy? <laughs> It's being recorded. No comment. 
<laughs> no, <laughs> no. And you know, people are, I will just say generally, people are very realistic about that. This is, so I think one of the points, I'll get back to this in a minute, but one that I wrote down, I wanna make sure that these recommendations are not geared towards lifespan doing this or Cure New England or Brown doing that. This is a new entity. This is a recommendation for the new entity, if it's approved, to do this. So somebody saying we're doing this or we're not doing that, that's all well and good. This is for the new combined entity in the integrated academic health system. We also, so we made a recommendation there should be a community advisory board. This is not groundbreaking. There are many community advisory boards. We recommended that it be about 25 people and be appointed by, jointly by the Attorney General and the Director of the Department of Health. Do they have ones? No. Not that I'm aware of. Um, and this would meet with an agenda, with a, with a charter, and that we're recommending that uh, a new board be reconstituted, we have not opined on how many, but that 20% of the governing board be from this community advisory board. Okay, so if it were 15, that three. That's a way of ensuring that there's representation, real representation from the community in, in here. Um, you know, there are other things here, uh, annual assessments of leadership, compensation, uh, again, substance and financial support for this community advisory group. Uh, this would go along with the investment in the, in the community. So that quickly is five months of work. Um, again, it's if this is going to go through, if this is going to be approved, this is the community input that we think, we being representing the community in our process, needs to be included and that they need to address. Um, again, I'm sure you will talk to, to them. They indicated from this that they think they can address the majority of this. Now, we're not the ones that say that's great, perfect. It is still in the regulatory moment. We were uh, thanked by both the Attorney General and the Director of the Department of Health for doing this because this then becomes part of the process. Uh, once the application is deemed complete, which I know is another topic, um, uh, our understanding is there would be public hearings. These, this was different than public hearings. This was a level of rigor and engagement with a couple of hundred people plus to really, really get tangible input. It was not coming, you know, give my testimony for 15 minutes in front of a, in front of a group. And so they appreciated that. So again, um, a lot of work here to say what Jane said before, many uh, impediments to this that have been looked at nationally on cost and access. We believe that this can be different and maybe we can be the role model for the country on this type of system that would benefit Rhode Island. <laughs>